this is the Fearless Fathers Podcast, a podcast for you, the fathers who suffer in silence every single day. Come with us as we hit those main topics that are just burning through your soul. It's going to get uncomfortable, it's going to be fun, and together we will become fearless. Hello, our Fearless family. Thank you again for tuning in for another interview Thursday here on the Fearless Fathers Podcast. I have a special treat for you guys today. This one is massive. This is absolutely huge. You know I'm Davo. You know I'm here. I've been rocking the interviews now for a few weeks, but we have a very special guest on the mic with us today. You guys aren't going to believe the fact that we have our very own Ryan McDonough on the mic joining the interviews, (laughs) anxiety-induced. He's going to cry. I'm going to laugh. Ryan, say what's up to the Fearless family. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And b- before we get into it, uh, my, my work schedule lined out. It's lined up. It's really the biggest reason I'm here today. I think that's the only reason when I text you, like, oh, I forgot I have an interview. You want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Why not? I want to welcome Ryan. He's going to be joining us, getting the flow, getting into there, asking the deep hearted questions for the Fearless family. So today on the mic with us as well, I have a 43-year-old father of three, retired Air Force veteran, brother in arms with Ryan and I. Mr. Chris Solomon, 15, an 11-year-old. He adopted from the Ukraine with Down syndrome and also his nine-year-old daughter as well, too, with other um, anxiety, ADD, things like that. So, Chris, I want to welcome you today to the Fearless Fathers podcast. Say what's up to the Fearless family and uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself if there's anything we missed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Yeah, like like you said, my name's Chris Solomon. Um, Me and my wife have been married going on 19 years this year. Retired from the Air Force back in, I think that was like 2012 or so. Um, I got medically retired. We got three kids, uh, so my oldest is 15. So we're dealing with all those 15-year-old, 15-year-old girl issues, uh, driving and boys and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, keep you awake at night. And then our 11-year-old, our son, he, uh, we adopted him from Ukraine, like you said. He's Uh, Got Down syndrome, developmental delays, uh, so he's taught us a lot. Um, And then uh, my nine-year-old, she has been diagnosed with some mood processing stuff and ADD and ADHD. So, you know, we got two with diagnosis and and then our 15-year-old. So, uh, um, but I am glad to be here. Excellent. It's awesome to have you here, Chris. That is quite a bit you have going on you know, being that father of three and all that stuff. And we're going to, we're going to dive very deep into this, you know, just before we even get going, when we were talking back and forth, setting this all up, I thought this was massive on how it was really going to epitomize what it means to be a fearless father, just the experiences alone. Um, and just your experiences I feel are going to hit extremely well with a lot of our listeners out there that may relate and just feel the same, or at least help them feel a little bit better to push through. So again, I want to thank you for at least joining us here today. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Excellent. So we're going to kick it in, kick it into high gear for you guys. First question right out the gate. Chris, what's one of the best things or funniest things one of your kids or all of your kids did recently? Okay, so I have to set this up. So we have a pretty open house. We're always, me and my wife, we're always trying to make our kids laugh. Better yet, my wife is always trying to make our kids laugh. Uh, and she is not ashamed. We have no shame inside our house. It is a shame-free zone. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Our house is one big burp and fart joke, okay? So the other day, 
somebody told my wife that her hair looks like Pennywise from It. You know, that just a bright red, hair, you know, quarantine box hair, box hair dye hairdo going on. <laughs> um, I don't think so, but it's whatever, you know. So anyway, Pennywise does this crazy dance in the movie. Don't know if you've seen the the newer It's, uh, the newer It movies. But uh, if, if you play Fortnite, it's kind of like the take the L dance. I don't know if you know, if you're familiar. If you're, I know you guys talk about gaming all the time. Don't know. If you, anyway, um, so my wife comes out and she's chasing my 15-year-old daughter doing this Pennywise dance. Now, so my wife is chasing my 15-year-old daughter through the house wearing nothing but a T-shirt and panties doing this dance from It. So usually my daughter would just cower and it would just erupt into laughter. My wife corners my daughter. My daughter whips out her iPhone, starts videotaping. And, of course, she threatens if my wife doesn't stop, it's going to be sent out. And she winds up sending it to all of her friends. So all of my friends have seen my wife in nothing but T-shirt and pants. <laughs> so, yeah, boys, girls, everything. So I guess my wife is fi- might have finally learned her lesson. Oh, technology. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, when we were when we were younger, we had anything like that to torture, to torture our parents with. I think I probably would have gotten beaten if I would have tried to videotape oh, yeah. anything that was going on in my house. <laughs> boy, of time, boy of times changed. We're going to just move along to the next one. Um, what is the one thing you wish you knew when you became a father? Because you have kind of a, a broad spectrum. You have you have a lot of a lot of different situations with all your kids. Even having a child that's adopted, that's that's something that's incredibly interesting. So you have a, a humongous um, information base there. Yeah, you know the the biggest thing that I wish I would have known is that I no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to get it right 100 percent of the time. Now that doesn't mean that we try any less to get it right. But once you realize that you're not perfect and you're not going to get it right ever, you're never going to get it right. You're never going to be the quote unquote perfect father. You relax and you actually start enjoying the ride a little bit. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement because I can tell you, um, me and my wife, we, we were married for I think it was like eight years, no, seven years before we had our, had our first kid. We got used to life in our own way. And boy, do we still get stuff wrong every day. But it's, it's a learning process. It absolutely is. Yeah. Well, what are some of the strategies you and your spouse came up with when you first started raising your kids? You know, you guys harp on this a lot. I mean, I've listened to every show that you guys have put out. And I mean, it's just great content. I mean, even though some of it doesn't apply to me, I mean, like the, the divorce episodes, I mean, I, I have to depend on you guys to understand what that's like. I mean, I'm a child of divorce. For us, and you guys harp on this all the time, it's communication. Uh, it's taken us a lot of years to get to the point where we communicate the way that we do. And it's not easy. I mean, I'm just saying you wake up every day and it's there seems to be another challenge in, in the way of communicating effectively with each other. It, it could be how the kids are responding to us. It could be even how me and Maria are responding to each other. We just kind of get each other wrong, you know? Yeah, communication, man. It's that's the if you can get the communication part down, man, you've got half of raising a child licked. Absolutely. Yeah. That but that's the hardest part right there. Um, is it's it's basically challenging yourself to want to want to actually learn that skill. Like nobody's born with the ability to communicate with a toddler. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's definitely that's definitely a thing you that's a, you learn on a regular basis, like on a regular basis once you've had a kid or you brought a child into your home, like your situation. And every kid's a little bit different. 
bringing his, he start my, my son's starting to bring, not necessarily bring friends around, but we're doing like, well, before this all started, we were starting to do play dates. Play dates. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've been there. <laughs> been there, done that, already thrown away the t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure you've had your, uh, you know, like, all right, well now you have these people in your house. The only thing you have in common is your children. And for me, that's a whole new phenomenon. <laughs> so we've really had to like learn a whole new skill set in dealing with that. It's funny that you bring that up because I mean, I grew up on so every social program that you could be on. I mean, we were the epitome of dirt floor poor growing up in South Mississippi. And uh, if there was a social program, we were on this house that I'm in right now, since I retired from the military and took this job that I'm in now is the longest me and my wife have ever lived in one place since we've been married. And it's the longest that I have ever lived in a house, lived in the same place my entire life. Wow. So, I mean, there were times where I would switch schools at Christmas break. Whoa. So, you know, I mean, Section 8 runs out. The, the landlord decides he doesn't want to keep up the, ha- the house trailer, the apartment to qualify for Section 8. Uh, which is like a, a program to pay for housing for, you know, poor families. Or we have to move from one project to another, or one method trailer park to another. I mean, you name it, I've seen it growing up. But I think that kind of helped me, that and the military. And where it really stunk for my wife was we would move to someplace new. And I, I think it was like four or five different bases we moved to while I was married because I was in before we got married. Right. And um, it was easy for me because I would just go to work and I had instant friends. For right. her, she has to make she had to make the effort to go out. She's introvert, so she had to. I mean, it was anxiety overload for her to PCS or change bases. Is what a PCS is for those who weren't in the military. We would uh, we would move to a base. Man, we went to Germany. Yeah. Dude, it was, oh, that God. was lights out. <laughs> you know, for her, that was lights <laughs> yeah. out. But so it was like instant. So, you know, the parents coming in the house, I never really had a problem with on the play dates. Um, I can always find something to talk to somebody about. And I, I've been blessed with the gift of gab. I'm a talker. <laughs> so her that I always worried about. And that's what, you know, my kids would come home from school and be like, oh, so-and-so, little Valerie wants to come over and play. And my, my wife is like, it's like that instant look of dread. It's like, I know I have to do this. I know I have to do this for my kid because that's what a mother's supposed to do. But I'm going to hate every single second of it until I get in it and get comfortable. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Um, Because you have to have that appearance of not necessarily stability, but confidence with your kids, especially, you know, when the other when the other people are around. I uh, probably align more with your wife. I actually am. I'm, I'm really, really terrible at social interactions and stuff like that. My wife is more the the extrovert. I'm like, oh, cool. Where you got any beer? <laughs> I'm the guy that thought like Camo 23P books were cool. <laughs> like, <that's me. laughs> On that point of like differing levels of social engagement, uh, can you recall any times that you guys were you know, out of sync, you know, in your communication with raising your kids. Literally like all the time. I mean, I, I, over, I exaggerate here, but really it happens a lot. Like you said, I mean, it's, and sometimes you don't even realize you're out of sync until you look back and you try to figure out what exactly is going on. And then you see it and you're like, was she upset about that? Or did I overstep here? Did I overparent her? And then you think back on it and you're like, maybe that's it. And then you come in and you're like, Hey, we're not really clicking right now. What's going on? And she was like, well, you know, 
earlier today you said this and I'm like, it almost just stops you in your tracks because it's like, that is what derailed us today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, because I said, I'm buying brown sugar oatmeal and not banana cream oatmeal. <laughs> I mean, it could be something as small as that. It's just, and that, and that's the part about being in a, a marriage and trying to parent kids is she's going to keep that bottled up just like I am. I mean, we let our kids see whenever we're having some friction between us, but they never get the full picture. You know, yeah. we, we have to show them, okay, this is how you should approach conflict whenever you're older. But man, whenever we lay down and for to go to bed and we talk it out, recap our day, or I get home from work in the morning and it was like, man, I wish you could have been here for another 25 minutes, but we really needed to talk this out. <laughs> Sometimes going to work at, 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 you know, having to be at work at 10 o'clock at night is a lifesaver if you don't want to take the chewing, but yeah. you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you need to take the butt chewing and, and, and get through it, you know, and, and learn from your mistakes. And I've had to eat a lot of humble pie in my day. I'm the type A. I've definitely been guilty of overparenting and being the cause of us being out of sync. And I'm not saying that my wife hasn't been the cause of us being out of sync either, but I'm going to say it's probably a 75-25 split to me. Yeah, but that could literally happen to anybody. You know, like it's oh, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a difference of opinion at that point in time. And like, yeah. well, it goes right back to what we preached before is, hey, communication's everything. It may take you 10 minutes, an hour, a day, a week. But eventually, I mean, you guys will get to that conclusion of, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Yeah. And, you know, like the perfect example is me, me and Dave, we just, I'm not saying that me and Dave are married, but we basically are at this point in time, I guess. I don't know. It was a common law. Oh, thanks, man. Yep. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs> we just did a um, an episode, the last episode, Leashing Your Child in Public. And like tethering your child in public. And me and Dave have like polar opposite opinions. And we just got into a basically what surmounts to like a 20 minute argument about it and just ruined the episode entirely. (laughs) But um, move it right along. As a father, when do you think we are good enough? And as as a point to that, when have we improved enough to accept who we are? That's it seems like a pretty generalized question, actually. So what are your thoughts? You know, that's a great question. I really think. It's different for every father, okay? For me, I don't think I'm good enough ever at anything. I mean, I know this is uh, what some therapists call stinking thinking. I was stationed at Keesler back in, I think it was 2007. Keesler Air Force Base, Biloxi, Mississippi. Yep, I know exactly where it's at. I won an annual award uh, in the military for my efforts as a non-commissioned officer and then won a national level award from a group not affiliated with the military that I honestly wasn't even supposed to be in the running for, but my boss went around the quote-unquote normal procedures and and submitted me for it. Even still, I would tell people that I was the 674th best person in the military at the easiest facet of my job because I'm, I'm just that kind of guy. I am not – you know, I'm type A, don't get me wrong, but I am willing to admit that I am not the best at anything I do. Now, maybe that's just bad of me, self-hate or, uh, you know, something from my past that I haven't got to with my therapist yet of, you know, why I don't feel I'm good enough. But I never feel like I'm good enough, mediocre at best. But there are definitely times I look back and I see improvement. I mean, it's all about improving, right? So, I mean, that's what I tell us all the time. As long as you are making improvements, you're doing good. So I don't think that personally you're ever 
good enough. Uh, as a dad, though, it, it's just getting to a point that your kids are healthy and happy and content, and you're content with the job that you're doing at that moment. Because you're always going to look back on, man, did I discipline my child right when he almost burnt the house down? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I look back a lot and I, I just self-evaluate and I'm like, okay, am I content with how everything has gone? And some things I am, some things I'm not, but I can't go back and change it. You know, I can only work on improving from this point on. So I don't think I'm ever good enough being a dad until maybe my kids are old, older and out of the house and I can look back on it and say, you know what? We raised some pretty dang good kids. I uh, agree with literally everything you said there. And I, I subscribe to this. I, I don't want to call it a theory, but well, I guess you call it a theory, but that like on a biological level, that feeling is in your head for a reason. And it's just you, your body, well, your mind's need to keep learning about a topic, learning about a topic. So you have the ability to adapt in the future. Um, Cause I go through the same exact thing um, when he does something crazy or he acts up in public or uh, anything like that. I, I really have to sit back and, you know, Think about how I'm handling things. And, you know, you're just learning every day. And, you you know, you have you even have older kids and you're still learning every day. Yeah, no. And I bet you when she's 18, 19, 20, whenever she decides to leave the house, you're still going to be yeah. learning every day and you're still going to be doing stuff. And she's going to watch her go and move on in the world. And it's still going to be like, well, all right, what's what's today's new challenge? And you're still going to look back on it. But with admiration, I assume would be the feeling. Yeah, I be, I'm sorry about that, guys. I don't know what the hell's going on with me today here. But I did pick up on some of that. And I got to say, I agree with the pieces I did pick up on. And Ryan, you're killing it today so far. I'm trying. So anxiety, take it away. <laughs> but from what I've been grabbing, and I want to I thank Ryan for at least picking up the pieces here while my computer decides that it's just going to die on me completely. From what, I, from what I'm gathering and from what I'm hearing from Chris is some amazing stuff even being experienced and like picking up on the out of sync issues uh, going back a little bit with you and your wife, me and my wife just went through that same thing yesterday where we were completely out of sync, just taking that step back to realign and say, Hey, we're good. I know that was like two questions ago, but I got to get something. You all good, brother. <laughs> all right. But it's cutting, oh. cutting out a little bit here for me again too. So Ryan, uh, actually, I know I think I may be able to pick up this one cause I'm hearing it a little bit. All you, man. What's something that you feel judged about being a father constantly that always weighs on your mind? And what are you doing to actually like handle that feeling of judgment or that anxiety that comes with that? You know, for me, it's and it's and it's been like this for a long time, ever since my kids were born, being in the military and then getting out. And in the job that I'm in now, I seem to always work nights. So it's like I'm always at work. So as I work this third shift all the time now with days off in the middle of the week, I, we chose this role for me between me and my wife. We chose this work schedule simply because number one, I have low seniority and it's a union job. So it's mm -hmm. all seniority based. I can't just arbitrarily say, no, I need to be on first shift now. I need to be, you know, 5am or 6am to, to two, two in the afternoon. I can't just say that. I mean, I probably got 13 more years before I have enough senior seniority to hold. The good thing about this is it kind of works with our family. I'm at work when my kids and wife are asleep. I get home. I can help get them ready and off to school. Then I can go to, I can get my workout in and go to bed, get up whenever they're ready to come home from school. 
and I'm here to have dinner with them and help them with homework and get them bathed. And I'm, I'm here for all those functions. But even still, it seems like I am always at work. And But at least this way I can maximize what time I do have with them. And then I have Wednesdays, Thursdays off. So that's tough, you know, because I'm, I have to sleep for my shifts on the weekends, which is when all their friends are calling them and saying, hey, can we have play dates? Or you want to go to Chick-fil-A and grab something to eat? go to the park and it's like I, I'm in I'm in the bed asleep and I can't help my wife run them around and things like that. So I always feel like that's the one spot that I would let my kids down and let my family down. But at the same time, I know that in time it'll get better. But also right. I'm doing I'm sacrificing to do what's best for my family, my family's dynamic. Yeah, I, I'm in the I wouldn't say the same exact situation, but real close. I work like a rotating schedule in our shifts. They there's like four shifts total, but um, they flip from days to nights and they're 12 hours. So for instance, tomorrow I'll, I'll go in for four days in a row night shifts and then be off for a couple of days and then flip directly back to days. But when you're on those nights, you feel like a little disconnected. You're in your own little world. Like you said, it's best for your family and it works because then you can be there for them when it matters. Yeah, absolutely. This is the one question that I was really interested in when I when I when Dave uh, sent them to me. The the one I want to really hear the story about is uh, what caused you to want to adopt your son from the Ukraine. Number one, my wife's gonna pick on you guys because you say the the Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, it sounds enough. weird. It sounds weird, <laughs> but everybody in the adoption community will be like, "You guys aren't saying it right. It's not the Ukraine." But okay, so honestly, it was my wife, and I do not joke about this. It was my wife. So we always felt, and we talked about this when we were dating, we both had the desire to adopt. Now, our desires were a little bit different. So here I'm thinking a little Chinese baby, a little African baby, and I didn't want anyone to ever confuse the fact that this child was not mine, that we opened our hearts and we opened our home to a child who was in a bad situation. Me personally, I was thinking that it would be someone who did not look like me. We're going to fast forward a little bit now. And it was probably, I don't say probably, I know exactly <laughs> when it was. I was i was on a remote tour now. And remote tour is a year away from your family in the military. So I was in Osan Air Base in Songtan, South Korea. It was Christmas. And I'm on the phone with my wife. And she was like, we need to talk. That that phrase in my house, mm, yep. as a guy, yep. that just like, we need to talk. I got a couple but, of Skype uh, calls like that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> we got to talk. And she was like, I really feel the need, I feel led to adopt a child. And I'm like, okay, we've talked about this. That's cool. Let's, let's talk. And she was like, no, no, no. A child with Down syndrome. A child with special needs. And I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. I didn't sign up for all that. I don't think I can handle that because the type of guy I am, the second someone decides to go sideways at my kid and start making fun of his disability, I'm going to get a brand new shiny set of bracelets. And so we kind of just left it at that. So I want you to remember Christmas 2008. So fast forward after my year in Germany, it ended in early 2009. We follow on to Germany, to Ramstein Air Base in Southwest Germany. I work with a, with a guy, him and his wife went through the process and adopted a child with Down syndrome. And my wife sees her posts about Micah on her Facebook and it starts turning the gears again. So this was 2010 and we're there and she invites them over for dinner outside my wife's comfort zone here. And 
we have a discussion about adopting special needs children. My wife, when they leave, she was like, I feel very strongly that this is the way that we need to go with our family. And I'm like, babe, I told you, I don't think I can handle that. And she looked me square in the eye. And it was one of those moments that is seared into my memory. It's, you know, like on, on that movie, that Disney Pixar movie about all the emotions inside out or whatever it is. My kid just um, watched that today. <laughs> actually. Core, core memory, you know, starts, you know, I got a whole new island at this point. Um, but she looks me square in the eye and more serious than anything she has ever said to me. Even our wedding vow, she said, you pray for God to change my heart and I'll pray for him to change your heart. Instant conviction. Wow. Dude, that's it's like one of those nights I know I did not sleep. That whole night is burnt into my memory. It's just I, I get goosebumps even retelling this story. So it's just that life altering moment that you know nothing will ever be the same. So I lay I'm laying in bed, tossing and turning, I can't sleep. I gotta go to work the next day. I wake up, quote unquote wake up the next morning. I look at my wife and I'm like, full in. I, I'm not going halfway on this. We immediately started selling every possession that we had that was not tied down to afford this because, hey, adoptions ain't cheap. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Adoptions ain't cheap. We were international, adopting internationally. And you're talking about a stack of papers, nine, 12 inches thick that have to be sent back to the Department of State in Washington, D.C. and then sent back to you all registered, all registered mail, which ain't cheap. Right. And then they have to be sent registered mail via courier to the country. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a, insane. And I'll, I'll get more into the money here in a little yeah. bit. Cause I, I, I have a feeling more questions. Are coming yeah. I, I have a couple, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that moment is just seared into me about how serious my life was about to change at that point. So that's how that's how it all got started. That's crazy. This is pure curiosity, and you know me being the weird, like you know, just trying to figure out how things work. How, how does how does citizenship work for something like that? Okay, so it used to be, it used to be, you know, we would uh, like our our youngest daughter was born in Germany, but they changed all those rules a long time ago. You know, just because you're born in their country uh, does not mean that you get citizenship. Right. So we had to go to to Ukraine and spend some time there. And then have a court proceeding there and do documentation there and get passports and all this stuff. And then, then we had to leave for a month, maybe, maybe not even a month. I can't exactly remember. It's a cooling off period. Then you go back and you're there for a couple of weeks to finalize the adoption and collect your child. And then me and him, because I went back on my own to finish that. When I went back and I collected Griffin, uh, we flew back to Chicago O'Hare. And as soon as we landed in Chicago O'Hare... I had to pay a bunch of money and slide some paperwork through a window at Customs and Immigration. They stamped them and said, congratulations, you're a U.S. citizen. Oh, wow. That's literally all it was. Really? Yeah, that was it. That's crazy. And that was, what, seven, eight years ago now? Yeah, 2011. Oh, so closer to nine. 11. Yeah. 10 or 11, I can't. The, the dates escape me right now. The, the, the story is, I mean... What you guys did was amazing. First off, that's that's well, it's, we haven't even scratched the surface. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Would you say that raising your son has taught you to see things in a different light, and not not just because of his diagnosis, but more because you're an adoptive parent? Obviously, you've gotten into that a little bit already. From what you based on what you said, you had a total total mindset, like complete reset, a complete rewire over 24 hours. What are your thoughts on that? 
you know, first, think back to the story that I just told you. Try to remember the dates, 2008, 2010, okay? So our family has a motto, too coincidental to be a coincidence, all right? So we learned this throughout as adoption and looking back on life before the adoption. It was, it was even present then. We just didn't realize it as much as we do now. But there's something always evident that it's, that's at work in your life and around you, and you don't really realize it. It's almost like it's setting you up for everything whenever you look back on it. All these things kind of, you know, twist and turn, and you choose this path, but this path arcs back to this whole other thing. So three kids, right? Right. Our two daughters, both born before we adopted. Both of them were born on the 19th of the month of their respective birth months. So we didn't know much about Griffin when we adopted him, and technically we couldn't choose a child in Ukraine. There's, I guess, missionaries and people who go to the orphanages and volunteer and get pictures of the kids with special needs, and they kind of leak the photos to people in the know here in the States, and they get out. Hey, these kids are available. So you technically can't pre-select a child in Ukraine. But we had our eye on him. So when we got to the country, we're sitting in this government office in Kiev where we could then select a child we wanted to meet for adoption. And we'd finally get to pick the – or we'd finally get to see the history of, of the child, what little or as much as they had. So me and my wife are sitting on this uncomfortable couch. Some dude down the street from me's, you know, project house Yo, sent directly to Kiev and has been in that office ever since. Eastern Bloc style, like, man. <laughs> man, it's like that brown flower couch yep. <laughs> that everybody <laughs> had. Or it was either it was either that one or the orange or green vinyl. You know, it was but it was the brown flower couch, right? Yep. Me and Maria are sitting there and Maria looks over at me and she said, how cool would it be if he was born on the 19th? Something that I didn't even think about, you know, I mean, we'd always joked about our kids being on the 19th and easy to remember birthdays. So the agent from the Ukrainian government comes in and he said in that thick Russian accent, Dudka. And it's like, uh, that's his birth name, sorry, Dudka. Right. Uh, Dudka was born on December 19th, 2008. And it's like, he kept talking. Me and Maria instantly stare at each other. And for a minute, we're just kind of like in awe. And all we hear is that Charlie Brown, (laughs) as he's telling us stuff we probably need to think about. But all we can do is sit there and it's like, get that chill. So like I said, I wanted you to remember that story earlier, right? When did me and my wife start talking? When did my wife first call, first tell me that she wanted to adopt a special needs kid? Christmas 2008. Griffin was born. And he was born in December of 2008, surrendered to the orphanage on Christmas Eve. Whoa. Okay. So like I said, I still got the chill. Yeah. Right. So. Come to, you know, he was surrendered on Christmas 2008. So that was crazy. It was like, okay, this is meant to be. If we needed any more proof that this was what was supposed to happen in our lives, we just got it. So then we were fundraising and things like that before we were able to go get him. And we knew that it was going to cost us about $34,000 to adopt. Oddly enough, $6,000 of that money goes to Ukraine. That's his adoption fee. The rest of the money, housing for us to stay over there for a month. Then we got uh, food, and then the rest of it goes to our country. For what? Apostilles, passport documentations, Ugh. visas, health inspections, uh, you know, suitability for adoptions, psychological evals for me and my wife and all of our kids. Yeah, that's Pictures that. of our house, pictures of our family. The bureaucracy. This dossier <laughs> that's like 9 to 12 inches thick. 
you know, it's just insane how much they... I, I would like to say that they fleece an adoptive family, but you want to know why there's an epidemic of right. children, of orphans? It's because they make it cost prohibitive. Right. Our country makes it cost prohibitive. Right. The other country, six grand. Yeah. And they were probably elated. Yeah. So they just want the kid taken care of. We knew it was going to cost $34,000. We had raised about 35000 When we returned, uh, when we had finished all, the, all of it and get back to Germany and finally are settled and take a breath, it's common in the community to calculate the cost for those coming behind you, right? So they can see how much the costs have changed year over year. We finished and it cost us just over $36,000. Wow. We still have money in our adoption account. I'm not sure how it happened, but it's insane. But it was a blessing because we needed it. Yeah. Because then he had to go have scans on his head to make sure that if, you know, I wasn't going to give him brain damage if I tossed him around. Right. He didn't have a bad heart, bad lung. But, man, he's a cool kid for sure. You know, he's not intellectually normal. He's 11, acts more like a three-year-old in most aspects. But, dude, his outlook on life is so cool. Give him some French fries. Dude, set. He'll sit there and gorge on French fries for 14 hours. <laughs> And that's me, bro. Yeah. I'll sit there and I'll go for his process right along with him. But it doesn't matter if he does something and I have to discipline him. I give him a hug, give him a high five, bro. It's, we're back to normal. He is just the coolest little dude and he's so understanding, but don't let that fool you. He doesn't, he's not on an intellectual level with an 11 year old, but he knows a lot more than we or people around us give him credit for. You know, we had to learn a lot with him. You know, I think the military kind of sets you up to be behind the eight ball whenever you get out. It's like all these things that all of your peers that you graduated high school with and went to college with and stuff like that, they know all this other stuff that we kind of took for granted in the military. Like if I got sick in the military, anybody in my family got sick, we just went to sick call. Oh, yeah. Well, you get in a, you get out and then it's like, oh, did you get this trip pre-approved through your insurance? Yeah. What's pre-approval? <laughs> What's insurance? Yeah. You know? It's like – so we had to learn a lot and like catastrophic caps and – Man, he needs a special bed to stay safe, and we had to fight insurance. Oh man! You know, although that's that's one thing the military did teach me was document, document, document. Everything. And whenever they told me no, I was like, okay, I want it in writing that you're saying no to to something that he needs. And they're like, oh well. Uh, uh, uh. I'm like, no, I want it in writing. Here comes the back panel. And then they they call the next day, and they're like, your bed will be delivered next week. Of course it will. <laughs> <You know>? Excellent. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh that type of stuff is painful. But man, for him, and just uh, you try to put yourself in his shoes sometimes on where he's been. You just can't fathom it. You know, you we're blessed beyond measure, I guess. Yeah. To to be born here in the United States, we hit that jackpot. I mean, people may not think so with the current environment now, but we really are. No, yeah, absolutely. It could be so much. Oh, worse, buddy. You know? Yeah, it could. <laughs> With some of the places, I mean, I'm sure you've been and we've been in the world, yeah, you could definitely see uh, how that situation is ideal for us. What's something you're doing uh, with your children to foster and grow their uh, passion or creativity? Did I hear you right? You, you actually do a do you do a podcast with your daughter? I tell their I tell our kids that they get all their creativity from their mother. Okay. I mean, I, I, I get about it, but. She's one of those people who succeeds at everything she touches. You know, she plays piano, she sings, she sews, she makes beautiful things. Me, I struggle with it. And I have to call people like, I call my buddy Jeremy all the time and my brother Keith to to be like, look, tell me, walk me through what I'm doing here. 
You know, I need those people to tell me that I'm doing right. But my kids are insanely creative, though. Don't get me wrong. But we try our best to allow them to explore. I think my oldest tried every after-school activity across a few summers in Germany, from cheer to European horseback riding, tennis, acting, you name it. It was an insane time. I don't like to think that we're program parents, though, but we just wanted our kids. We want our kids to be well-rounded. So, yeah. you know, we try to get them into something musical. We try to get them into something sports, something something creative, artistic, something sports, you know. But Gracie, our teenager, she's she's so awesome at cello. Like, she chose, like, the biggest instrument for her. She's kind of petite, you know. She's, <laughs> this instrument just dwarfed her, and we knew it, she was going to pick something big for some reason that just told us. I mean, she could barely carry the thing. And, um, she wound up first chair in her orchestra last year. That's amazing. But she also wanted to run cross country, but she has knee issues that sort of derailed that. So she switched to pole vault, which, I mean, she hasn't started really flying yet. My wife loves all the music stuff. I love all the sports stuff. So whenever I get to see her fly over a pole, I don't care how high it is. It's going to be insane. Yeah. You know, just to say, that's my that's my kid. And she's doing that. She just, uh, since COVID and the quarantine and everything, it made her realize that she doesn't know how to answer the question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? She also realized that there's millions of kids out there just like her. As they're getting to this age, they realize that, hey, maybe those things aren't in the cards for them. I don't like to see blood, so why would I go to school to cut open an animal, you know? So she started this podcast called Gracie Meets, uh, where she interviews people with unique or unusual jobs to show teens her age, you know, that are there's more to being just a doctor or a lawyer. There's more out there than just following your mom or dad's footsteps. We've been really enjoying doing that together. Like she does all the interviews and I help her learn the tech side and manage the equipment. You know, she lets me come on and talk about, we call them break shows where it's, she's not interviewing someone. She's interviewing me about how to apply for a job, how to uh, do a job interview, you know, just the basics for teens out there who have never done this type of thing before. Right. So one of these days she's not going to need me at all. And that's going to rip my heart out. That's our job as a dad, right? Is the, is to prepare them to where they say you train yourself out of a job. There was a guy that actually the day I ETS, uh, <laughs> I had my, my son there with me. Um, and he was still really little because it was a couple of years ago now. And he said something to me that'll stick with me the rest of my life. And it just ripped my heart clean out of my chest. He's like, yeah, man, every day he grows is one day close to you. You can't pick him up anymore. <laughs> and that's the proudest day too. This is and and this dawned on me whenever I whenever I started thinking about all this. It's I need her more than she needs me. Yeah, she needs us to lend her that moral support and still give her guidance on high level things, you know, like how to open a bank account, how to drive, things like that. But those little things when she was a baby and a toddler and a you know, a middle schooler, she doesn't need me for those. And that's I need her more than she needs me. And you're going to get to that point. You know, every dad's going to get to that point. You need your kid more than your kid needs you. And that's that's the part that's that we're getting to with my daughter. I mean, people look at it and like, oh, here comes the light at the end of that tunnel. But at the, at the end of the day, I don't think that tunnel ever ends, <laughs> man. I think, yeah, no, I think it just it, keeps it, going. I mean, no, she'll always, your kid will always need you for something. Oh, absolutely. But it gets less and less and less. And you got to grab hold of it and run with it, you know? <laughs> Then our son Griffin, he's he loves everything music and magnets right now and blocks. So we buy him magnet tiles and he's found that he can around our around his window in his in his playroom, it's got like metal binding to the window and 
stuff like that. He stacks them up and sees how high he can push them up the wall. And, uh, then our daughter, she's a gamer and an artist, so she's all into drawing. And I helped her set up a YouTube channel during the during the quarantine, and and then she'll do her little art paintings or drawings or paint with diamonds or whatever she's doing this time. And she records it, and she's not to the point where she can do all the editing yet. So I still got a few more years before she kicks me to the curb on that one. Yeah, but, you know, it's just you you grab hold of that time, man, and try not to let it go as much as you can. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> This is Dave's big part of every episode um, where I wish he was here to do because this is definitely his thing. Every, at the end of every one of these, he asks uh, for you know a call to action to our listeners. Um, so now I will ask you the same thing. Do you have one for our, uh, all the all right. fearless fathers out there? Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning, guys. You're not going to get it right all the time. Embrace that imperfection that comes along with being a dad. It's ugly sometimes, y'all. It really is. You'll have to find your space, be it in the closet or in the car, to cry it out when you fail sometimes. Man, I've bawled my eyes out so many times being a dad just because I failed. But guess what? You know, you have to take those moments and learn from them. And then, but at the same time, you're going to have those moments where you'll sit back and be like, man, I just killed it at being a dad right there. You know, learn from both situations and you'll survive. But ultimately, Look back and be like, I did that. I raised those little people into amazing adults. That's our ultimate goal is to just make sure that we're raising people who we would want to be around when we got old. That's uh, awesome words, especially coming from somebody who's been through it to somebody who's, you know, just starting our journey. My son's only three years old. You you have many stages of growth in your house at this point in time. It's good to hear that it's all right to fail sometimes and it's going to be fine. And yeah, you're going to have your anxiety over it, but you're going to do it. You're going to learn from it and then you're going to move on and then you're going to build a great human being out of it at the end of the day. And that is really, really everybody's goal. So I guess to, to wrap this whole thing, there's the, the big culminating statement in your own words. What, what does it mean to you to be a fearless father? So it, to me, it's taking the hand that you're dealt no matter what it is and making the best of what you can't change, changing what you have the power to change. And being comfortable enough and saying, I need help. And saying, I'm doing the absolute best that I can do as a dad. You know, we attack every day. We just have to face the trials head on. We lick our wounds when we suffer defeat. And we celebrate the mess out of our victories. Beautiful words. Absolutely. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. This is obviously the first one of these that I've, that I've done with Dave. But I've, I've listened to almost all of them. You know, I, I, I couldn't say any better myself. I want to thank you for coming on. I have no idea how Dave ends these things, so I'm sure he'll fix this in post. But you have a really inspiring story, and it's phenomenal, and I'm, I'm really glad I got to spend the evening talking to you. So I'm going to kick it back in here to tie all this up together. Let's give it up to Ryan today for handling the interview. Thanks to my technological difficulties, he ran with it. He rocked it. It was an amazing interview. I hope you took something out of that. There was a lot of great information in there that can make you fearless every single day. I'm going to tie this all up. Like Ryan said, I'm fixing it in a post. I got you, brother. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a supporter. Thank you for being a member of our fearless family and checking out this episode. If you like what we do and you want to follow us for even more, check out our Instagram and Facebook pages at Fearless Fathers Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Fathers Podcast. As well, check out our shop. We're going to have a new store coming out here in the next few weeks. Teespring store will still be up for a little bit if you want to check that out. And also find us on Patreon as well. 
for as little as a dollar a month. It's going to go a long way in helping us build this movement, build this community, and build a strong foundation of breaking the stigma of what it means to be a father, to be a fearless father. Just like your children, you learn and grow every single day. No more do we have to suffer in silence. We're in this fight together. We have a voice louder than ever before. And together, we're going to embrace the fear. 